Ryan Rashaga joins us. Uh, I, I know they had a huge celebration here at uh, Peterson uh, GMC when they finally sold that vehicle you had traded in because they, they just stopped telling people you drove it, and then suddenly it increased its uh, selling <laughs> value. Is, is it sold? Fantastic. Yeah. So, well, I did, they probably didn't want to tell you about it, but, yeah, it's done. So it's good. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little groggy and tired today, buddy. I, I actually put in a full day's work. Like that's crazy. We're going for on you. almost seven hours here. Oof, I, 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 you're gonna have to have a nap pretty soon. I know. Well, I'm heading home to have a nap right now. Actually, the Oilers skate at 8 a.m. and then the the Penguins get on at noon, and we're just finishing up with them. So I'm just just leaving the rink now. Oof. Was uh, was Chris Kunitz able to handle the barrage of everybody questioning why he's uh, an Olympian? <laughs> No, you know what? I think, uh, and our buddy Speck was on that trail a little bit. I think people are a little smarter than that in this neck of the woods. I think people are uh, people are wanting to get more to the bottom of, you know, the type of player that Chris Kunitz is on his own. And uh, Dan Bilesman just got finished talking about it and said, look, like, you look at the history. He was on a great line with Getzlaff and Perry back in Anaheim. He was on a real good line here with Malkin and with James Neal when Sidney Crosby was hurt. So, I mean, at some point you got to start asking the question, is, is this guy just lucking out and, and having success because of who he's playing with or is success kind of following him around a little bit? And I think it's a fair point by Bilesma. This is a good player. You don't get 23 goals by uh, floating on someone else's coattails, and he's done it before. <laughs> Uh, bang on. I, I found it somewhat laughable that everybody wants to accuse him of um, 13 games without Sidney Crosby is the, the reason why Kunitz should not be there. I don't care. So then, you know, if, if Corey and, and, and Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff, are they are they not as good without one another? Probably. But they're dynamic together. So who cares? Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, in fairness, when I put together my projected roster that I, that I would have picked, I, I wouldn't have had Kunitz on it. So, I mean, I'm sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm not suggesting that Kunitz isn't on the team because he's not a good player because he's not a good player on his own. Um, this is a very good player. This is a guy that plays the game hard, uh, and he's smart. And, and what Chris Kunitz has shown is that, A, he can play real well with good players. He's certainly not going to be a liability on the line. And, and B, that he's got a, maybe a, a different level in his game that nobody else knew he had. So – Full points to Chris Kunitz. This is this is a success story. This isn't a story of somebody being handed something they're not worthy of. This is a success story, and he deserves a ton of credit. Ryan Rashog joins us. Uh, Ryan, Sam Gagne to the wing. Uh, this, this isn't a major surprise, I don't think. Uh, a lot of people suggesting maybe they're showcasing him. Um, I, do you think this is the beginning of the end of Sam Gagne more as a centerman or more the beginning of the end of Sam Gagne as an oiler? Uh, yeah, that's, it's a good question. It's a good headline. Uh, to be honest with you, buddy, I'm not entirely sure. This is what I think. I think that Dallas Aikens wants to find a way to get Sam Gagne some offensive confidence, wants to find a way to give Sam a little bit of confidence. And unfortunately, part of what he's got to do is kind of piss the player off a little bit because I, I guarantee you Sam's not thrilled with being moved to the wing. But it's tough to argue when you look at the production. So I, I, I said it in the offseason when the question was, should they be signing him or not? I have always believed Sam can produce a similar number of points from the wing than he does from the middle. 
and uh, and I, I don't mind the look at all. I think it gives him a new opportunity, lets him focus not less on defensive hockey, but there's just there's not as much to think about. There's not as much responsibility. And Sam can focus a little more on trying to produce some offense rather than be a two-way center. And I think that'll be good for him. I think this gives him an opportunity to find some confidence and success. I think it would more spell the end of him as an oiler if he were playing right side on the fourth line today. I think that would maybe send a little bit of a different message. But he's still being set up for success here. You know, it's interesting you say that Sam will be upset playing the wing. Why? His best offensive number stretch came when he played on the wing with Cogliano and Nilsson, right, that, that year when Cogliano played the middle. Why do, you, why do you think Gagne is so opposed to playing the wing? Well, I'm, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. So I, I and, and to be honest with you, I was, uh, I was working on another story today. So, um, but my sense has always been with Sam that he considers himself a centerman that he wants to be a centerman, and that's, that's, that's what he wants his place to be. So uh, I, there was no crying and moaning, Sam. Every time Sam's ever been moved to the wing, he's always done and said the right things. He's never complained. He's not a complainer. So I'm, I'm just kind of assuming that it, he's probably not thrilled with it, but he's going to put his nose to the grindstone and do what he's got to do. We've seen him in this position before. I think he's got a certain amount of pride, and, and, and I think he believes he's a second-line center in this league. Yeah. Um, do you think he is? No, I think he struggled to prove that he is. I, I think last year he, uh, for certain portions of the season, I think he showed that he, he had that potential. But this year he hasn't been. Uh, and so the numbers aren't there. The play hasn't been there. Uh, his overall game hasn't been there, and you just can't keep shoveling minutes on him as a second-line center. So I think, I think Dallas is putting him in a position to succeed rather than to come up a little bit short like he has been for a lot of this year. Ryan Rashog uh, joins us. So they move Arcabello up to the second-line center position. You know, and a lot of people have been waiting for this. Uh, obviously, I think that injury probably delayed this inevitability in my mind. I think they want to give him an opportunity to play second-line center minutes and see what they got. You know, was it just a good first 20 games for Mark Arcabello, or is yeah. this a player who could maybe be a 45- to 50-point guy, which is what you have to be now, essentially, to be a second-line center for the most part. You know, like, obviously, yeah. high-end guys are better than that, but, you know, for the most part, that's what he'll do. Uh, what's your expectations of Arcabello? Do you think he can be a better second-line center than Sam Gagne? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, it, and it's kind of a loaded question because – Arcabello played well there in a short stint, uh, but Sam Gagne has played well there in a short stint before as well. And the one thing that we have witnessed with Sam is what he's capable of over the long haul. And so can Arcabello fill in admirably and put up points? Sure. Can he do it season after season uh, firmly in that role? I have no idea. Uh, and that's what we're going to see here. That's what Arcabello, I think, will get the opportunity to do is a stretch of games where he's firmly implanted in that number two spot down the middle. And, and we'll see. He's shown he can put up points. He showed that early on in the year. He earned himself a spot on this hockey team by putting up points consistently. So I think he's shown that he might be able to, and I think he's earned the opportunity to show if he can or he can't. But it took Sam to get the opportunity and to maybe come, a little bit, come up a little bit short based on expectations. It took that happening 
for them to be able to justify giving Arcabello the opportunity. But now he's got it. He's got it back, and we'll see if it's for real or if it was, you know, a little bit of a mirage early on in the season. Reiner Schaug from uh, TSN joins us. We're live at Peterson Buick GMC in Sherwood Park. The uh, the other one is Alashemsky, Ryan. I'm sure you've heard a lot. Uh, you know, Sam Gagne, that the orders would be willing to trade him. That, that's not a surprise to me. Uh, a lot of people felt like, oh, tomorrow night could be a showcase because they need a right winger to play with Crosby and Kunitz now that Dupuis done, and you've got Joe sure. Vitale playing there. No offense to Joe Vitale, but, uh, you know, uh, something tells me uh, people who question Chris Kunitz, just watch Joe Vitale's numbers playing with Crosby, and you'll realize that Kunitz is a lot better than people think. That being said, they're going to need a right winger. I see Alish Hemsky as a better fit due to contracts, the fact that he's a UFA, and the fact, Ryan, that he's been playing essentially in more of a defensive role this year and, and has done okay with it, so they feel like you know this guy isn't just an, an offensive liability. Yeah, I heard you say that the other day, that you thought, look for Hemsky and the Penguins to maybe be a fit, and, uh, and I thought it was a great point that you made. I think that it, it's a fit mainly because of the contract. I mean, that's, that's really, when you're looking at how the Pittsburgh Penguins set up and how they set up moving ahead in years forward, uh, they're not going to be looking to take on $4 million bucks a year in somebody's deal. They're not going to be looking to take on two or three more years if it's not the right player. Hemsky fits. He's a skilled player. He's an experienced player. He's a fast player. And if he can get through most of the season and prove he can stay healthy, I could see a team willing to move uh, and bring Alashemsky in in that top six role. I think it makes a lot of sense. The question is the return mm-hmm. and, and what the owners will be expecting in return. Uh, people will think I'm insane. People will think I'm nuts. But when you get to the trade deadline, this kind of stuff happens. I think there's a chance if he keeps playing reasonably well, the owners can pull a first rounder out of somebody for Alashemsky. Yeah, I'm not, I mentioned that too. Keep in mind, um, you know, we, we've, Paul Gostad, Got a first yeah. round. Now, granted, it was it, you know it was a well, it was a mid uh, first rounder. I think it ended up being the the twenty first yeah, or well, second Pittsburgh's pick. First rounder isn't going to be that great. No, no, exactly, and that's why I don't think it's completely out of the realms of uh, uh, possibilities to think that, especially at the deadline. Yeah, no, I, I think you get down to deadline time and teams feel like they're on the precipice of taking a legitimate run. Uh, I think they, you know, I think they would be willing to part with that pick when they're looking at a 24th, 25th, 26th, or if they're optimistic, think they're going to win the cup and they pick last. So I think teams are willing to move that. You need to, and I think the owners need to hold out until the deadline, until the teams get a feel for what they got. And I do think that'll be there. There was a first rounder plus on the table for Dustin Penner when he left. Uh, I think there's a first rounder to be had for Alish Hemsky. So now, Craig McTavish heads into next year's draft with probably a top three or four pick, if not the top pick, another late round pick. And, uh, and you should be able to parlay that into something. He'll have lots of bullets in the gun, uh, but he's had that before. Uh, one last one on uh, David Perron. Uh, you know, Perron yeah. had a, a, a six-week stretch there where, where he was easily the order's best player, no doubt. Um, I remember when he got tri- when he came here in the summer, and, you know, I talked to a lot of different people in St. Louis, and, and Ken Hitchcock said it, and Andy Strickland told us that the, the one um, concern about Perron at times is, you know, he'll hang on to the puck too, o- too long in the offensive zone and then, you know, frustrating his teammates when guys are open, he won't give them the puck. I've started to see that creeping in a little bit. Maybe it's just frustration. Are you seeing the same thing lately that, you know, he's not moving the puck as quickly as he was earlier in the year? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think a little bit the other night, um, 
Yeah, I think when frustration sets into his game, he gets to be one of those guys that's a little bit like wants to throw the team on his shoulders and wants to get it done himself. And that's when that starts happening. The thing about the people that Perron's playing with, I mean, the owners are such a good skating team that you just, and David's not the fastest skater out there. You just have to move the puck fast. And I think you realize that when he got here, I thought he did a real good job early in the year of, of not overhandling it. We'll see if he adjusts because I think it is creeping into his game a little bit. But uh, when you're playing with, you know, skaters like Alice Shamsky or Taylor Hall or Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I mean, these are fast, fast players. They didn't have that kind of speed in St. Louis where he came from. And, and I think he'll, he'll, he'll probably figure it out pretty quick that he's, he's, he can't do that. And I think he probably made a pretty conscious effort not to do it early in the year. And, and it's definitely creeping a little bit back in. What do you think of the new line combinations? If Perron and Hemsky are your third line that's going to play the, the harder minutes, in, in theory, you know, the, uh, the other two lines sh- should get uh, the odd easier assignment, at least on home ice. You know what, buddy? I think Dallas is going gonna, is gonna to send Nugent Hopkins right at Crosby. Okay. Uh, I, I think he's going to play Nugent Hopkins right up against Sid. I don't think he's going to try and hide him. I think he's just going to play Gagne, Nugent Hopkins, and Hall right up against that line and say, look, fellas, best players in the world. There they are. Go get them. Yeah. I think he tried to stick handle around a D pairing the other night, and I don't think it went well. And I think he's going to throw caution to the wind a little bit and just say, go get them. And I, I think it's what he should do. I believe it's what he's going to do, and, and uh, I think you'll see Dubnik and Nett tomorrow night, and I think you'll see him let Nugent Hopkins run against Sid. Well, the thing about that is uh, if you don't play him against Crosby, then you have to worry about Malkin and Neal on the next line. So, you know, somebody's... Yeah, and then next game you got Taves to worry about. Yeah. You know, like the, these, these guys aren't going anywhere. These are the best players in the world, and eventually you're going to have to go through these guys, and I would like to see him just plow them out there against those guys every opportunity he gets. Nugent Hopkins is maturing. He's developing. Um, I, I don't think it's too much to ask. This isn't the first, you know, three, four months of his NHL career. And uh, one interesting thing, uh, Ryan, and, I, and I'm curious, to, and, and I think people really need to recognize this, specifically the NHL. The the loonies down to 92 cents, and uh, you know all the uh, forecasters are suggesting by Friday it might dip below 90 for the first time. That's got to be a huge red flag for the NHL because you know the Canadian markets, uh, all seven of them are in the I think the top 11 as far as making money. And when the Canadian dollar goes down, that's a huge knock for the NHL's t- bottom line. Yeah, no, it is, and I know when we were at the board of governors meeting, we talked to uh, we talked to Gary Bettman a little bit, and somebody brought up the Canadian dollar, and he just kind of he almost didn't even want to talk about it. He just sort of sloughed it off. Um, yeah, it's no good. It creates it creates disparity there, and it makes things tough. I don't think it's going to get back to the day where, I mean, you remember what a massive massive yeah, sixty-seven cents. Yeah, I mean, it was insane there for a little while. I don't know that, I mean, I'm no economist. I don't think it gets back to that point, but it's definitely something they have to monitor and it creates a difficult situation when you're, you know, your revenues are in one currency and your expenses are mainly in another. It puts you behind the eight ball, but uh, the salary cap is going up enough in the next few years that I think, uh, I think they'll be able to stick handle around it safely. Well, Shogger should be uh, great to see the Pittsburgh Penguins tomorrow night, uh, eight o'clock start on TSN. Yeah, TSN game. Looking forward to it. Always good when you got Sid in town and it's uh, it's a home broadcast, so should be lots of fun, buddy. Well, you better get a lot of sleep because, man, if that means you got to be at the morning skate and then at an 8 o'clock game, oof, that's going to be a long, long day for you. That's tough, so you better get a lot of sleep. Well, if you'd let me go, I'm going to walk inside and crawl into bed. All right, see you later. 
you both.